Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What adjustments will the Bucks have to make for the Giants and the new quarterback, Daniel Jones? And we'll tell you what Bruce Arians and some of his defensive players had to say. And what is the plan for the Gators at quarterback versus Tennessee? It may take two this week. How long before Jim Levitt takes over as a defensive coordinator at Florida State? And did USF do the right thing by changing their quarterback? And what was really behind the move? We've got big games in college football. Notre Dame at Georgia, Michigan at Wisconsin. We'll talk college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, if you're like me, you're probably tired of these high electric bills. It's still hot as blazes out there. That means you're using your AC all the time. My last electric bill was over $300. So I'm going to tell you how you can save 90 to 95% off your electric bill. Just listen to me now. May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company, and May Electric Solar is the safest solar available. They don't use high voltage like many other solar companies. And May Electric Solar has a 25-year warranty on all their equipment and labor. They have a full showroom that's open weekdays, and you can see their products. Now, May Electric Solar has been around for 12 years. They've earned a great reputation with their customers and peers. There's many other solar companies imitating them, trying to use their great name. But remember, they don't use subcontractors, and they do not subcontract for any other company in any other way. Everyone knows it has to be May all the way. So stop the insanity of these out-of-control electric bills and start saving now. Call May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. And if you call right now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit through 2019 by changing to solar energy. Call the real May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, Steve, well, the Bucks found out on Tuesday that the Giants are going to make the move at quarterback. They bench Eli Manning, of course, the two-time Super Bowl MVP, in place of uh, Daniel Jones, their draft pick out of Duke, the number six pick in the NFL draft, and he will make his first NFL start Sunday at Raymond James Stadium against the Bucks. A uh, couple things about this. I didn't think it would be this soon. I mean, the Giants are 0-2, but to be honest with you, it's not really been Eli's fault one way or the other. Their defense is giving up about 31.5 points a game, um, so clearly that's been an issue. Uh, really offensively, you know, their weapons are limited on the outside with receivers, but Saquon Barkley is still a beast and he does most of the, of the work and has been very successful. He's, you know, rushed for over a hundred yards in each of the first two games. Um, but they, they make the move to Jones. And I, I think that sort of crystallizes why, uh, they went all in, you know, that high in the draft to get Jones. Cause I think it says more about where they think Manning is at than perhaps where they think Jones might be. Uh, Jones obviously had a really good preseason, and so that certainly instilled a lot of confidence in the Giants that maybe he was further along than they even realized. But preseason is preseason, and he's still got to go out there with the same football team that Manning had trouble winning with. So it's not going to be easy. Now, you know, the Bucks, you would think on the surface would, would be, you know, would benefit from all this, except that they've not done well against rookie quarterbacks, at least of late. Um, and so, you know, Jones offers – uh, a little different test for them, you know, whereas Manning is, is pretty much a pocket passer, a drop-back guy, not very mobile. 
Daniel Jones can move. You know, he's not really, you know, a scrambler per se in the you know, Michael Vick or, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, Cam Newton in his in his prime type type guy. But straight line, he can run, and, and I'm sure they're going to give him uh, a lot of, uh, you know, bootlegs and waggles and things to get him outside the pocket and give him some options to use his legs if he can. Uh, but we talked to uh, Bruce Arians who said, you know, first of all, he said, you know, he'd have had a tough time making this move. It's always tough to bench an iconic quarterback. As he said, he would almost have to be an edict coming from ownership. And I'm sure it is, uh, you know, for Pat Shermer as well, although I think I think Shermer is, is probably on board with this move, especially at 0-2. Um, but, you know, I, I also think it's going to be – there's a little bit of the unknown. I mean, the Bucks defense has played well. But but I don't I don't look at this as necessarily a negative uh, for the Giants. I think it's I think it's probably a, a a good step for them at this stage, and I think I think it's going to be a little bit a little bit tougher for the Bucks than people realize on Sunday. I think I think Daniel Jones can play first and foremost. Well, I think the mobility gives you a a, a different wrinkle that you weren't expecting in this game, and I think that can open up some things for the Giants, particularly because they don't have a ton of weapons on the outside. You know, they don't have Odell Beckham Jr. anymore and receivers like that, so. I think it is a challenge. I'm just, I'm curious if this is almost like what happened with the Bucks last year, where Dirk Cutter's fighting for his job and he's switching quarterbacks back and forth, just trying to win games. And maybe that wasn't the best thing for the organization or the team. And I, you know, you kind of wonder if Pat Shermer's not trying to save his job this way, because personally, with the team they have there, I wouldn't want to play Daniel Jones yet, unless. Unless Eli is that bad and, and everyone in practice knows that you know he's not the guy anymore. Otherwise, I think Daniel Jones benefits more by sitting, but I think the Giants have a better chance at winning with Daniel Jones there. I think they do um, at this stage. And, and because their offense is dynamic, I think the addition of that, uh, of, of being mobile and, and you know, he's still very accurate. He's going to remind people when he's on the field, almost physically, almost facially in some respects, um, of Eli Manning. I mean, they operate very much the same way. He's just a younger, better athletic, um, obviously, body and all that stuff. So, you know, from that standpoint, uh, uh, you know, it is a plus for the Giants. I, I'm interested in this game. I, I'm not sure not sure how it's going to go. Uh, you know, the Bucks have been playing very well on defense. They still most likely will be without Devin White, which is a big loss for them, even though I think, you know, Kevin Minner came in and played very, very well at Mike Linebacker. Well, let's see if he can do it, you know, two weeks in a row. Shaq Barrett is coming off a just an unbelievable week for him, a career week uh, with the three sacks. He was named uh, NFC Defensive Player of the Week on on Wednesday. So, you know, that's the big feather in his cap, obviously. Um, we'll see. We'll see if Todd Bowles, you know, uh, Todd Bowles and Bruce Arians, I would say this, is that uh, when they've been together or apart, Bulls as a Giants head coach, and then when he was with Arizona with Arians, I think they're, I think they're nine and zero against rookie quarterbacks. Um, you know, in, in, if you combine what they've done um, recently, at least, whereas prior to Arians and 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 Bulls, the Bucks had not fared very well against rookie quarterbacks. So, um, yeah, I think you leave it to Arians to to throw enough stuff at them. You know, talking talking to Arians, he said, you know, you just you got to you know not make it easy. You got to stop the run, and and that's going to be the job anyway when you're playing a guy like Saquon Barkley. You know, we talked to Arians about Barkley, and you know we're asking him to compare him sort of 
to Christian McCaffrey because they play these multi-purpose running backs here in the next four or five weeks. And he goes, oh, no, no, these guys aren't even on the same planet. <laughs> he goes, Barkley's so much bigger, so much stronger, and so much faster. And I agree with him. I, if it, w- The only guy I can compare Barkley to, and he's just a giant version to me of Barry Sanders and a, and a more athletic version, if you can imagine that. But his ability to, to jump, cut, stop, go, the explosiveness, um, the number of, of 50-yard runs, um, there's nobody in the league like him. And, and I think, you know, every now and then you see what we call kind of a gold jacket player. I mean, this guy, if he stays healthy, has the sort of ability, and if he can have some longevity to, to you know, to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he's that special. So um, it'll be it's worth the price of a ticket, I think, to just watch a guy like Saquon Barkley. And, of course, he went up there in New York and he pretty much wrecked the Bucks a year ago um, and kind of took over that game. So, that was a game, if you remember, Fitzpatrick started and then Jameis came in and he wound up rallying them and threw four touchdowns, but it really wasn't enough. So we'll see if uh, if they can keep the Giants on their skid and, and a great opportunity for the Bucks to go 2-1 and one, heading into this uh, insane seven-week absence from uh, from Tampa Bay as they embark on all those road trips. But now it suddenly doesn't look as daunting when you have you know, Drew Brees out in, in New Orleans and Cam Newton not playing very well, who you'll play again in England and, and so on. So that's going to be the uh, that's going to be the week. We'll talk about this game, of course, later in the week as well. OK, Matt Baker joins us now. And Matt, you were, of course, uh, at Kentucky to witness uh, the injury, first and foremost, to quarterback Felipe Franks of Florida. You know, a lot has been said about about Franks, of course, over the years, both good and bad. Um, but clearly he was their leader. So what, what do we know about this injury, about his future, and just sort of what was his, the reaction of his teammates? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was pretty shocking. You know, he was trying to rush it for it on, on fourth and short and got stopped. And then yeah, I kind of go from thinking, all right, well, you know, that's, a, that's rough for the Gators because they were trying to keep the drive alive and, and uh, you know, losing by 11 at the time. And then, wait a second, Franks isn't getting up. And then I saw the replay in a 311-pound guy kind of rolled up on or not rolled up but fell on his ankle and it mm. looked bad um so i mean it was a it was it was obviously a, a rough scene but the, i guess kind of the, the good part about it is just seeing how his team rallied around him i mean i'm not talking about just kind of on the field to, to win the game but as soon as it happened you know some of the, uh, yeah. the teammates uh, a couple of the receivers kind of saw it was bad and went over and like took a knee and then um, you know, when they, they carted him out of Kroger Field, I mean, I think every single player or close to it on the Gators got off the sidelines and went over to kind of, you know, touch his helmet kind of thing. So that tells me that they have a ton of respect for, for Felipe um, mm. because, I mean, he, he he's a guy who has been through a lot. Obviously, he's been benched multiple times. The fan base, for, you know, reasons some legit, some not legit, maybe, never quite he hasn't quite clicked there and hasn't played at in a, a super elite level or anything, but he's a guy that his, his teammates really respect and, and again, rallied around. And as far as uh, the other part of your question going forward, he, he's out six months. It's a dislocated ankle with a fracture of some sort in there too. Um, so the six month timetable would have him back sometime in spring practice, probably, you know, maybe if it's a little bit earlier, maybe he can be the start just a little bit later. Maybe he misses it, but probably sometime around spring ball. You never figure, uh, plan these things, obviously, and, it, and it's part of the game. But had Frank stayed healthy and played okay throughout the year, there was a chance he was going to maybe enter the NFL draft, right? I, I certainly think so. Um, mm-hmm. He's got 
he's got NFL size. I mean, he's got an NFL arm. Sure. The question mm-hmm. to me has always been kind of his decision making and, and some of that sort of thing, which I do think to his credit, he was getting better at. I think his throws were were more accurate. His completion percentage was up. And some of that is because he was seeing things a little bit earlier rather than kind right. of throwing guys open rather than, than just waiting for them to get open, that sort of thing. So I, I think there was a non-zero chance that he, he left for the NFL. Um, I, I'm presuming, I, you should never presume, but I would think that the injury certainly means that he comes back just because of you know mm-hmm. where he would be in his recovery for the combine if he were to do that. I suppose right. it's possible he could still decide, no thanks, and go do the baseball thing, but I would find that pretty unlikely knowing him. So I, I guess the, the other possibility here too um, We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about Kyle Trask and Emory Jones, who are going to be the, the Gators' quarterbacks going forward. If they do really, really well, then I suppose there could be a situation where Franks kind of gets Wally pipped, um, mm-hmm. and then Franks could be a grad transfer. So, I mean, there's a zillion different possibilities, but I would say 98% certainty he's getting ready uh, to, to try and be playing for the Gators in spring practice. Yeah, we'll talk about sort of the plan going forward with Florida, uh, both with Trask and uh, the redshirt freshman you mentioned, Emory Jones. But going back to last Saturday, Trask had not played a, a ton of football. And, you know, for him to come in, I mean, just you were there. I mean, he, he seemed to get hot early. Uh, he made some great decisions. Uh, just how, how surprised were his coaches, his teammates, that in that situation he could step in and not just hold the fort but actually lead them back to a victory? In the press box, I was surprised just because I hadn't—I mean, I hadn't seen it. I've seen him in mm-hmm. practice, I've seen him mm-hmm. in spring games, but that's not the same as doing it at Kentucky, yeah. which was a very nice road environment against a pretty good—not not great, but pretty darn good Kentucky team. And, and Florida had been struggling against them offensively up until that point, or for the most part. <clears throat> um, but the, the other part of your question is—is is what his, his teammates and coaches—they were not surprised at all. Because they've hmm. seen it. I mean, he's a guy who, again, he's a redshirt junior. He's been around the block there for a while. And he's, sure. you know, he's he's had just kind of a, someone's been a series of bad luck, Rick. You know, there, there was an injury that kind of cost him a chance to compete for the job going into 17. Uh, then Felipe does well enough to and beats him out at the start of 18. And then last year, you know, uh, Felipe Franks got benched in the bad loss to Missouri. Mullen kind of sort of opened up the the quarterback battle leading up into the next week against South Carolina. And then uh, and in practice, Trask comes down weird on his foot on a trick play, injures the foot, and then he's out for the rest of the year. So it's kind of been one thing after another, but Trask, to his credit, has stayed positive. He didn't transfer, which in and of itself is, is fairly stunning in this era. Um, but all that stuff gave the Gators confidence that he would be able to do it. Um, because, again, he's it's not like he's... Uh, He's not a schmuck. I mean, he's playing for the Gators for a reason. He, he was a backup in high school, but he's big, you know, 6'5", 240. He can move pretty well. He's got not a super strong arm, but he's very accurate and decisive with it. So he's got some skill sets that are a little bit different than, than Felipe Franks and Emory Jones. And Florida, you know, they, the Gators were not surprised that he was able to do what he did Saturday. Some might have been surprised that they went to him instead of Emory Jones, who might have been part of that game plan at some level. But we know, even You're after talking to Trask... one of those guys, You're talking to one yeah. of those guys, Rick. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, uh, we've talked about Emory before, and in fact, I think he was, you know, had a role in that game at some level. They didn't play him really, but Dan Mullen now says, even even with what Trask has done, 
that the plan going forward is to uh, is to share reps now uh, together with Trask and Embry Jones. So is this as you as you have written? I mean, is this is this Chris <coughs> and Tim Tebow part two? I don't know yet. It's going to be very interesting to see. Um, yeah, this is this is just a weird quarterback situation because, like you said, Mullen told us after the games the plan was to get Emory Jones some reps against Kentucky, even if Felipe was 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 healthy, even if nothing happened, um, because sure. you know Emory does have a very different skill set. Felipe and and Trask are both willing runners. They're both bigger guys, but Emory is a dynamic runner. He's shifty. Right. He can cut well. He's quicker. So that adds a different element. And obviously, he can throw the ball, too. So that adds a different element for Kentucky to try and stop. And that's why they used him against Georgia a little bit last year and used him against Michigan in the bowl game in you know, meaningful situations. So what does it mean going forward with these two? I, I really have absolutely no idea. Um, I could see a situation where... Trask gets most of the reps, almost all of them, and there's an Emory Jones package. And again, that's a, a change of pace kind of deal because, hey, here's a really talented guy. We need to get the ball in his hands to see what he can do and, and to, to throw off the defense. I could see a situation where it's more 50 50, um, just to, because Emory, I mean, let's face it, Kyle Trask is not the quarterback of the future. He's not. Right. You know, he, he has one more year left. Uh, again, we all presume. And he's done. Um, Emory is, by all accounts, the quarterback of the future, um, mm-hmm. if there is one on this roster. So you, you need to keep him improving, keep him developing. And also, I, I not, don't want to necessarily speculate here, but you also have to keep him around, Rick. In this era where if you're not, yeah. I've said it before, but if you're not starting, you're departing, there, <laughs> I'm sure, is some sort of pressure uh, on Mullen and the staff to keep him playing, to keep him happy and keep him there. I mean, again, you, you want to compare that to one of the other guys from uh, Emory's 2018 signing class, Justin Fields, who only saw a little bit of action at Georgia and bolted after one year. And, of course, now he's kicking tail for the Buckeyes at Ohio State. So you don't want a situation like that where you absolute, your depth gets sapped um, going into to 2020. So I think there's a bunch of reasons why they're going to play both. I don't know which are the most legitimate um, X's and O's or the future or what have you. But, I mean, we'll start to get a little bit of a sense of it Saturday against Tennessee. But really the big test is going to be um, the first weekend of October against Auburn when they play a very, very tough team. That's going to be a real test of who they think is best right now versus who what it, what gets them the chance to win down the line in 2020. I'll try to keep Emory away from that transfer, transfer portal. Um, you know, Tennessee is uh, has not been good for a while, and now their coach has, com- I guess, compared their situation to the Titanic, which might be an apt description. Um, but, but seriously, no, no, Rick, I mean, Rick, I, Rick, 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 I'm going to have to stop right there. You be nice to that Titanic, okay? That that poor <laughs> wow. ship, that poor ship has been through a lot. So let's be it's fair. A, a, let's not be cruel to those to that ship that is now riding at the bottom of the ocean. Um, I, you know, here's the thing. I can remember when Tennessee was relevant. I mean, I'm not, I'm not so old that I can't remember this. It, it, it maybe even to some degree after Full Fulmer, not for very long. Uh, you know, they went through the whole thing with Shiano and in different coaches, uh, uh, possibly coaching there. I mean, what is wrong? This program has the ability to be good. I, I don't understand why they're so awful. <laughs> um, I, there, there's a bunch of reasons why why they're so awful. Um, one of it 
is certainly coaching changes, plural. Yeah. Um, and we, yes. can, we can go back to what happened when Lane Kiffin left abruptly and they kind of had to scramble and ended up with Derek Dooley, who we know did not work out. Um, obviously, the most recent one, when they fired Butch, they, they did it early enough in the cycle where they were in on some of the guys. I mean, th- there's an alternate reality out there where Dan Mullen is coaching in Knoxville, yeah. and, and, and Florida was the one having to scramble. And I don't know sure. who they would have ended up with, but that was certainly a possibility. You know, they kicked the tires on Mike Gundy and Mike Leach and Dave Doran and Jeff Brom That's and right. all these guys. And one of the things that that just debacle did was it pushed their hiring timeline back and back and back at the, mm. the worst time for that to happen. And what I mean by that is you got to go back a couple years. That was the first year of the early signing period. So what that did is it for so you know it, it sped everything up. Whereas you know years ago when you'd make a coaching change in late November, early December, it, it would be hard enough to try and get your recruiting class because you're right. trying to scramble who who's who uh, that we've you know who which of our commits makes sense for us, which ones do we not want, which ones from my old school do we want, which ones do we not want, what about my new state? There, there's a bunch of scrambling, but you had two months to do it. With the early signing period, you had, depending on when you got hired, between one month and, and two weeks. And that put a ton of pressure on just how fast you had to make decisions in terms of recruiting, in terms of getting your staff together, because that matters. And once you mm-hmm. push back on that, then you push back for the next signing period. So instead of working on the next year's class, like most of the other schools were, you're still trying to close on that class. So everything gets pushed behind and behind and behind. Um so, so here's a stat you'll be able to read in the Tampa Bay Times on that. that in that, that first, uh, you know, the, the 2017-18 coaching cycle, coaches who were hired by December 1st at their new school, uh, Power 5 coaches, they're 40 and 38. Coaches hired, and that would include Dan Mullen, uh, Jimbo Fisher. Um, co- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Which is hired after December 1st in that first cycle, 39 and 52. Wow. So there's a pretty big disparity there between when you got hired and what your success has been since then. And, and unfortunately for the Vols, Jeremy Pruitt falls in the latter camp. And there's other reasons too. I mean, the recruiting rankings were fine, but the Tennessee doesn't have a ton of talent. They've had some quarterback issues with, 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 with transfers and being unable to stick. There's a whole lot of reasons why the Vols are, uh, are, are not in a good, a good place right now. But the coaching turmoil is certainly at or near the top. So should Gator fans expect a, a big lead early and, and lots of celebration, or could this game possibly uh, be closer than that? I mean, I think it says something that the spread last I saw was two touchdowns, even though Florida is yeah. without their starting quarterback. And they're playing That's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're playing two guys who have seen a combined what three or two quarters of meaningful action, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that I think that says a lot. I think Tennessee is just bad. They're not quite yeah. 
they might not be as as bad as kind of the perception. Um, the the Georgia State debacle was bad, but you know they they've looked compet- you know they looked decent enough against BYU, and if they had played intelligently on the final play, it would have been a little different. Um, but Florida's got a, a lot more talent; they're a lot more put together. So I I don't see the Gators having a whole lot of trouble here. But again, the the only thing giving me pause is the the quarterback situation. Right. Well, again, BYU might have been a little better than people realize, too, as it turns out. Yep. Um, that might have been a factor as well. Florida State, they lose another lead, this time not as embarrassing to, to an ACC team like Virginia, who, who's not that bad, quite frankly. Um, nope. But Willie Taggart now has hired Jim Levitt as a consultant. Is this a good idea? And and really, why not just name him the coordinator? Because I, I can't imagine that you know you'd want Jim Levitt looking over your shoulder at this point. Well, I do think it's a good idea because the defense needs help. I mean, yeah. Let's, let's face it; their 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 defense through the first three games has has been bad. Um, the first couple were historically bad. They played better, I thought, it, at least kind of for the first three quarters on Saturday, sure. but then then reverted. Um, I, the, the stunning thing to me is just the fourth quarter. I mean, they're, they're averaging. 16 points a game giving up uh, in the fourth quarter so far. That's fourth worst in wow. the country. Um, it it oh. bit them, you know, second half collapsed, bit them against Boise, bit them against ULM, and then obviously came back to bite them against a good Virginia team on the road. I, I guess if you want to be positive, FSU did show some signs of, of life. You know, the offense has started to click. They're certainly better than they were last year. Special teams are better, and defense is was better on Saturday until when it mattered in the final eight minutes and they stunk. Um, <laughs> as far as far as Levitt, yeah, I'm curious to see what he does now, now that he'll be, you know, this is his first full week on the job going full into week, the Louisville yeah. game. Mm-hmm. So what does he do? What What is he seeing? What What ideas does he have? And mm-hmm. I think you're you're absolutely right, though, in terms of what it might mean down the line. You know, Harlan Barnett, um, just the way they've looked through a couple games, it's very hard to imagine things getting a whole lot better and him being, I, I'll put it this way. Uh, FSU's got Louisville this week, NC State at home next week, and then they've got an open date. If you wanted to make a change with your staff, that would be the time yeah. to do it. And the open day leading yeah. into, I think they've got Clemson on the other side of that. That would be the time to do it. And I, I'm, I'm sure Willie's going to feel some pressure on it. Because you have to remember, too, Harlan wasn't his first choice as defensive coordinator. And some of that, again, like I talked about a minute ago, some of that is just because of the early signing period. Everything was under so much pressure. You're, you're having to scramble and you're kind of, in some cases, having to settle with, with your assistants and your coordinators. So Harlan was not his first choice. Willie wanted to bring Jim Levitt with him from Oregon, but Oregon stepped up and paid him a good chunk of change to stay. Um, mm. So I'm, you know. I wouldn't be surprised at all if there were some, some major coaching shakeups on Willie's staff. Again, not this week, but after the NC State game when they've got an open date. Yeah, I didn't know what Jimmy was going to do. I saw him in Arizona at the NFL owners' meetings. He was going to do some consulting work for some teams, including the New York Giants, and and he wasn't able to take a job until June. So that certainly probably you know would have affected any college opportunity. So. I think it's a good move, and and I know you know he'll bring a lot of positivity to those players for sure. They play Louisville, which could be without their starting quarterback Juwan Pass. They've got some other guys that can play, obviously. How do you think they do against the Cardinals? Yeah, Louisville it was better than I expected. 
because the thing about Bobby Petrino teams, he'll have success. He will win there. I think he's won just about everywhere he's been. But when he leaves, he leaves it an absolute wreck. That, that's a that's a motorcycle Arkansas joke, by the way. Um, he leaves it <laughs> and a good one. Well, he left no, he left notes for the Atlanta Falcons. That's how he left there, you know, in, in the yeah. players' locker room. Hey, I'm gone with two games to go. I think they were yeah. laminated, if I if I if I remember right. Um, <laughs> yeah, just like put that in your in your keepsakes with all the trophies the players have uh, that that lasting memory. Um, but I mean, he leaves it just as a wreck. Arkansas was a wreck after he left, um, and then obviously Louisville. Now they are a wreck talent wise. He did not recruit well at the end, and there's not a lot. Um, Scott Satterfield again has done a better job than I expected so far year one. They were at least pretty competitive with Notre Dame in the opener um, or early, which kind of surprised me. But FSU's got more talent. Um, I, I, I'm torn on this because, again, I don't have I don't think Louisville's in a very good place. But what have I seen from FSU to make me think that they could win this game? Uh, I mean, the fact is, it is in, in Tallahassee, so there's that, and they, they do have more talent. But I'm, you know, I, I'm still. I think I'm picking against FSU against the spread until they prove otherwise still. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one team that's not going to be playing this weekend is USF. They have a bye week before hosting SMU. Um, that might be okay. They've made the, the quarterback change now to Jordan McLeod. I never thought it was Blake Barnett's fault. I, I think their offensive line is just not good, but McLeod obviously has some mobility. So um, right move for USF so far? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. It's not all on, on Blake Barnett, but Charlie had to do something. I mean, the, the ship was, was sinking. It was, it was not, they were not in a good place through two games. You know, losing to Wisconsin, there's no shame in that, but losing as bad as they did is, is, is not good. Um, Georgia Tech, we now know, stings. I mean, they lost to the Citadel. So th- those first two games look, look bad. And so they needed to do something to kind of save face to try and kickstart things. You know, I, I'm a big, I, I like analytics. Um, S&P Plus, the uh, Bill Connolly tool. USF's got the number 114 offense in the country, according to that. So you, you had to to do something. You had to mix something up. And Jordan, you know, I thought, uh, played well against mighty South Carolina State. We'll see, again, what he can do with a, you know, a full week knowing he's going to be the guy. I guess the, we presume, at least, um, going into SMU, which I don't think particularly highly of right now either so we'll see what they can do to kind of try and save face and and try and salvage a bowl out of this poor start i wanted to ask you matt because i know you got your top 25 we can certainly get into that before we talk about uh, some of the games around the country uh, this weekend uh, which are interesting Uh, but ucf uh, beat Stanford and beat them handily. They look fast. I know Stanford might not be the best team in the Pac-12. In fact, you know, there's not a lot of great teams out there, quite frankly. But, um, we're, I mean, should they – they legitimately look to me like a top 10-ish team. I mean, I, I, I tell me where you have them ranked and what you thought of UCS victory. Yeah, so I moved – I had them 18th, and then after the Stanford win, I moved them all the way up to 11th um, okay. because – Stanford, I don't think, is, is particularly good. I think Stanford has plateaued. I think they're kind of on their, their way down. Um, to win at Stanford at a, high, at a high level, you need a good amount of luck. Um, or Andrew Luck, I suppose. You, you need a, a really good quarterback. Um, and to just continue Christian recruiting. Christian McCaffrey. <clears throat> like that. Yeah. 
No, yeah. you, you, but you need to kind of, it's hard to get a lot of those guys at Stanford just because of the academic restrictions Absolutely. and you're going to, mm-hmm. you're going to have times when you miss and when you miss, you can't just reload like, like Georgia or Ohio state. You, you, it's going to take a while. And I think they've missed on too many guys. And so they're kind of plateauing and I, I shouldn't, I don't want to, you know, say too much negative on Stanford because that takes away from what UCF did, which is kick the crap out of a power five team. Um, and that, you know, that was very impressive to me when I, when I did my ballot looking at it in that whole kind of 11 through 18 range, somewhere in there, I'm looking at a bunch of teams that have some fine wins, but some questions, you know, Utah hasn't played a a ton of great teams yet. Um, Penn state didn't look good against, uh, Pitt. Uh, Iowa, again, give them credit for beating Iowa state, but that wasn't the prettiest game. Michigan, struggled against army oregon and a&m both have losses so i'm looking at that thinking okay out of all of those ucf has kicked the crap out of three opponents stanford is at least decent i think um Mm -hmm. why not reward them for doing what they did um considering i don't have have really strong feelings where i'm going to bang the table to myself uh, about some of the other guys on there so that was my thought process in moving ucf up to 11 and we'll see what happens going forward because unfortunately their schedule is not going to have a ton of marquee games on it. You know, they've got Pitt this week and Pitt's not particularly good. So even if they win at Pitt, they're going to have to win handily to kind of keep impressing me. And then the AAC has got a couple teams at the top with, 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 you know, Memphis, I still think is pretty good, but like Cincinnati got killed by Ohio state a couple weeks ago. So it's, it's going to be hard for them to, to keep it up unless they keep destroying people. But the good thing for them is some of the teams at the top I know are going to slide some because they're going to start playing each other. I did want to ask you, uh, you know, Joey Knight wrote a, wrote a column uh, or a story about the ACC, and we know that they're obviously top-heavy with Clemson, um, to say the very least, every year. But that used to be a good football conference. <laughs> I, mean, mm-hmm. what, I mean, is it coaching turnover? I know there's a number of factors, but like, what, what has happened to the ACC? It's disappointing to see just the, the lack of, of sort of depth in that, in that conference. Rick, I remember being in Charlotte a couple summers ago. It was in 2017. Um, Clemson had just won the national title in Tampa. Yeah. FSU had just beaten Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Mitch right. Trubisky was a top pick. Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. had just won the Heisman. Uh, wow. I think the best quarterback in the in the conference, or maybe it was number two, in terms of passing efficiency, was the guy at Virginia Tech, um, Jackson. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I remember writing that they were the best conference in the country, and they, um, they were quite proud of it. I mean, I remember their montage at the start of Media Day was about champions and this, that, and the other, and... Uh, on top of the world was the song playing it that it was set to so and because they were on top and now they are on the bottom of the power five um i, I still think it's a better league than aac and mountain west but they, they, there's been a bunch of reasons again you start with the quarterbacks it's the most important thing you go from mitch trubisky deshaun watson lamar jackson um deandre francois that that type of very good uh level you know north carolina's got a new starting quarterback um, Virginia Tech's had quarterback issues and transfers. Uh, so, there, I mean, quarterback is, is one. Miami's got a new quarterback. So that that's certainly part one. Some of it is, is coaching turnover. You know, UNC's got a new coach. Miami's got a new coach. Georgia Tech's got a new coach. That's, that's certainly part of it. 
I think one of the bigger reasons, too, is simple regression to the mean. You know, the, AAC, the ACC is, has been historically a fine football conference, but it hasn't been a great one. So what happened a couple of years ago, I think, was more of a fluke than it is a, a sign that they're going to compete with the SEC every year. I don't, That's not going to happen. And so now I think we're seeing kind of the other side of it, is they had a peak, and now they've kind of regressed further than their historical norm, but they're going to regress. And then, you know, Miami's not going to be meh forever. Florida State's not going to be meh forever. And once those two big brands get back up to a good level, I think you, me, and everyone else is going to think higher of the ACC. Yeah, they definitely need their uh, their bigger bigger name schools to uh, to come back into the national uh, prominence there. Let's talk about the weekend games. There are some really good ones. Uh, we'll start at uh, College Station, Texas A&M, which just kicked the crap out of uh, Lamar last week, 62-3. to uh, They host number eight Auburn. What do you expect in this one? Yeah, I'm just curious to see how Jimbo does in one of these these big games. There, somewhere, mm. one of the, the alternate universes, Jimbo could have been the coach at, at Auburn. There were times when that looked like that could be a possibility. I think that was a job that really intrigued him. So I'm curious to see just how he does against them, because I think very highly of Auburn. Their, their win over mm-hmm. Oregon um, in week one was impressive. You know, done what they needed to the last couple games. And this is, and we've talked about it before, Jimbo wanted to go in the SEC. I think that was an itch he, he wanted to scratch. Well, this starts <laughs> the run for, for A&M where it's, okay, yeah. here, here you go. Um, the, the good thing here for him is that uh, the game's in College Station, but then in a couple weeks, they've got Bama. A couple weeks after that, mm. they've got Mississippi State, who's pretty good. And then into the season at Georgia, at LSU. So I want to see, this is one of the first, obviously Clemson was a huge test, but this is the first big conference test for Jimbo this season. I want to see what uh, Kellen Mond and his, his Aggies can do. Yeah, careful what you wish were there. That's a daunting schedule to be sure. And I think he's got a good program, but boy, that's that's a lot to navigate. Uh, Georgia is uh, hosting Notre Dame. That's where college game day will be. Uh, I watched the Georgia Bulldogs, unfortunately, got all over my Arkansas State Red Wolves. But that aside, I know, uh, you know, look, I mean, clearly we're not quite ready for Georgia just yet. We're not we're not Georgia ready, (laughs) as uh, Lovey Smith would say. But, man, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you're playing. They've got some running backs like they brought this freshman off the bench. He was like their third guy. And I'm telling you, he's special, man. They they absolutely are special. I, I think Georgia is going to gonna roll over Notre Dame, even though I like Notre Dame's quarterback. I just don't think that the Notre Dame can, is, can stop the run like that against them. Yeah, D- Dalvin Cook's little brother might be like the third best running back on that team, um, which, you know, w- w- with White and, and Swift, I mean, that's, yeah. They, they've got dudes on top of dudes on top of dudes. And there's oh, a reason... Yeah. There's a couple of reasons why I picked them to win the SEC this year. And one of it is they've recruited at just in a, I mean, in some ways they've out-recruited Bama even the last couple of years. And eventually that's going to show up. And, you know, Notre Dame is a good team. I've got them 10th, um, but they don't have Georgia-level talent. And when they've played some of the bigger teams the last few years, going back to Bama and the title game with Manti Teo, they, they haven't been able to compete. Um, and I, I, I don't expect this one. You know, I think there, this one's about a two touchdown spread too, and that seems about right to me. 
Um, Notre Dame's going to be well coached. They've got a good quarterback. They've got some good players too, but Georgia's just on, on another level from them. And we haven't even talked about Jake Fromm, the quarterback who's really, really good as well and has some uh, experience playing in big games. Wisconsin, this is big in my household for a lot of reasons. I, don't, I have mixed emotions because you know I like Jim Harbaugh, even though he's not really doing a great job at, at Michigan. But they host nope. the Wolverines at Camp Randall, which is a rare thing. I've actually seen a game there against Michigan. It's quite the uh, quite the spectacle. They're going to have the stripe out this weekend. Not, not the red or the white out, but the actual stripe out. I like Wisconsin in this game. Look, I'm not impressed by Michigan's offense. You know, from what I understand, Harbaugh has completely turned it over to uh, to his coordinator. He is not really calling plays. He's not involved in all the meetings. He's more of a CEO coach. I think that's a mistake. But um, what do you make of this Wisconsin-Michigan game? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I Josh Gaddis, the OC at Michigan, is a guy who's pretty well respected by his peers. Was you know another Sabanite. Um, so for Michigan to st- struggle the way they have kind of or not look great early again they're, they're only a couple games in so i'm not i don't want to jump to any rash right. conclusions there um but shea patterson hasn't been great yet and, and the offense mm-hmm. hasn't looked good and so I, I have questions about michigan again i know you i know you're feeling on on the khaki one but he hasn't <laughs> i mean his production has not matched the, the hype and the potential yet. It just hasn't. Oh, I'm, and I'm swinging so to I'm, your side, man. I'm swinging to your side. I like him I, personally, I would, and I thought he was a hell of a coach. But I'm telling you, if they don't – I mean, he's an offensive guy, right? I mean, this is the guy that mm-hmm. took Colin Kaepernick, who for a lot of other different reasons can't play in the NFL right now. But Kaepernick took him to three championship games, or at least the combination of Kaepernick and Alex Smith. And I have not seen any offense from Michigan to speak of since he's gone there. Correct. It's 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 pretty it's pretty stunning, but that's that's where that's where things are. And you know, Wisconsin, yeah. on the other hand, you know, they've outscored their two opponents, uh, you know, USF and, and the mighty the mighty Jim McElwain's. So they've outscored them 110 to nothing. Um, yeah. I, on, on my ballot this week, I actually moved USF or uh, the Gators down a notch to nine, just because I w- went back and looked at it and thought about it. And I was like, I should have had Wisconsin ahead of Florida last week, so I kind of corrected it this week and mm-hmm. the, the, the numbers mm-hmm. like wisconsin and what they've done and you know wisconsin's a weird school in a lot of ways because they've uh, they've won a bunch of games you know in the last 10 20 years they've, they've had no a ton of success. Yeah. but right because they're not recruiting at a georgia bama clemson ohio right. state level so i think they right. have a ceiling but the ceiling mm-hmm. every year is like going to the rose bowl which is a, it's a pretty not good bad. ceiling yeah. yeah um and i and i certainly think you know Michigan top to bottom has more talent, but Wisconsin's again, they're going to, they're not going to make a ton of mistakes. They've got a great running back and a very good line. And, you know, right now, give me the Badgers. Yeah, I'm with you. That makes my wife very happy to know that uh, you would favor Wisconsin in that. Uh, he's Matt Baker. You will be at the Florida Tennessee game to see uh, the double combination in their quarterback uh, for the Gators. And you can read him on tampabay.com. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it as always. You got it. Thanks, Rick. Love college football. Love waking up on Saturday morning watching game day and some good games this week for sure. As far as the Tampa Bay Rays go, they're off today and they begin their last homestand of the season at the Trop. Uh, that will start on Friday night. The Red Sox coming to town and then the Yankees follow them after that. And tomorrow we're going to have former my former radio partner, Tom Jones, of now of the Pointer Institute, will join us on the podcast. And folks, uh, remember now, if you want to save uh, 90 to 95% off your electric bill, call the good folks at May Electric Solar. They're a locally owned company. 
They've been doing this for a year. They can save you a ton of money on your electric bill. And uh, what if you call them now, you can also receive a 30% tax credit all the way through 2019 by changing to solar energy. So get on it right away. Call the Real May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Strata of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.